Dear Tressie, as I write you this letter, my mind is alive with the voices of the women in my family who shape me. I can hear my mother's voice in concert with the voices of her sisters as three of them would relay memories pierced with irony, sardonic wit, erupting into breathless laughter. The conversations creating an atmosphere of intimacy, of understanding that Black Southern women have long required for our survival. I hear the way my mother's voice would change the moment she answered the phone ringing. A sign of outsiders' intrusion into her intimacy. Our foremothers' voices passed down to their daughters' empirical knowledge on the art of existing and influencing a power structure dead set on our heartbeat. I hear the oaken voice of my 90-year-old great-grandmother, Verna Brittenham Chavu, who told me when I was an eight, baby girl, know your whites. This is advice born of insight that has kept our bloodlines alive in spite of the hunger of a silencing white world. It was the truth. It was passed down through word of mouth, secreted between our women that made us possible. Best, Adia Victoria. Welcome to Call and Response from Sonos, the show about the communal spirit of music making and listening. I'm Adia Victoria. I'm a musician, a poet, and a writer based in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a Black woman from the Deep South, leaning into the blues to make sense of this world. So y'all, Call and Response is a show based on the blues. And I'm not just talking the one, four, five of the blues. I'm talking the the poetics of the blues, the scholarship, the intellect, the body of the blues. And the blues was born of a Black woman's body, of a Black woman's experience. I wanted to dig a little bit deeper about the role that the Black woman's form, our presence, it plays in the dominant culture and in, in its imagination and its psyche and its nightmares. And for that reason, I had to bring on scholar and fellow Carolinian Tressie McMillan Cottom to unpack all of these ideas about the way that we consume Southern womanhood. Tressie is a sociologist. She's the author of 2019's Thick and Other Essays. She's currently an associate professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Information and Library Science. Tressie is the co-host alongside Roxanne Gay of the brilliant podcast Here to Slay. And if that wasn't enough, in 2020, she was awarded the MacArthur Fellowship Genius Grant in recognition of her work at the confluence of race, gender, education, and digital technology. Tressie is a thinker and a philosopher in the tradition of Black women of the Carolinas that she and I come from. But she speaks in a way that brings to mind the kitchen table philosophy of Black Southern women. Last summer, I sat in the hammock under my magnolia tree and I, I inhaled her masterpiece, Thick, and other essays. Reading Tressie, I felt my unspoken hunches I had about our culture spoken back to me in a voice that had the full heft of academic training, but was also rooted in the same time in that brilliance and that knowing and social wisdom gained by Tressie's experience of a Black woman from the Deep South. 
Now, as y'all know, I do make a playlist for every episode that was inspired by the conversation that I have with my guests each week. And I wanted to dedicate this week's playlist to songs that reflect on uh, the role that the mother plays uh, in our life and by extension in our art. So that's gonna feature artists like uh, the Shirelles, Junior Giscombe, Odetta, even Dolly Parton. You guys can check out that playlist on Sonos Radio or over on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash Sonos. We'll leave a link to the playlist in the show notes. And now y'all, here's my interview with Tressie McMillan Cotton. Let me just go ahead and welcome you to Call and Response. Just go ahead and jump right on in. Yeah. Um, I was reading this interview that you were doing um, for your collection of essays. Um, in this interview, you said, I have an understanding that Black women, like any other group of people, any other subculture, has a political philosophy and ideology. Mm-hmm. And we've got a history of thought. I was wondering if you could talk about the ways that, you know, we are this intellectually uh, rich people, mm-hmm. subset of people, but the ways that our intellect is consumed, how is it recognized? Like, mm-hmm. how is it and how is it valued or or not valued? Yeah, yeah. I like to say that we love talking about Black people as history because we never want to grapple with Black people that exist. We tend to do two things. We, t- we turn Black people into a historical project or we turn Black people into entertainment, both of which make it far easier to consume us rather than to negotiate with us. And one of the things like I'm always pushing for is like, no, I want you to negotiate with the parts of me that you disagree with and try to do that without being racist. I have no stock in saving white people from themselves. It is not my ministry. Like, God bless you. It ain't my thing. That's right. What I do care about is the extent to which their inability to save themselves makes life harder for Black people. It kills us. Kills us. Right. I'm trying to save us. That's why I push for saying this is what I think it means to know that we have an intellectual tradition that all Black people are always working into, whether we know it or not, whether we're doing it all at the same level or in the same way. When somebody is producing music, they are working into a tradition that is present. And you need to feel that as much now as you're going to wait until they're dead and do a retrospective of their work. Look, don't get me started, right? <laughs> But that that's what I mean by like we wait for it to turn us into things that are easier to consume. Right. They turn us mm-hmm. into stone. And that's the thing too that I've I've grappled with in the Americana industry is there's nothing that the Americana Association loves more than a dead blues nigga. Yes, girl. They love that shit. Like I remember mm-hmm. when I made my Newport debut in 2019, there were all these signs like Mississippi John Hurt, there was Skip James, there was, yeah. you know, Robert Johnson. It's like, yeah, I love these guys too, but they're dead. And that's do right. you can you recognize that that lineage did not stop there? It did not come something, mm-hmm. an artifact for white people to, you know, create the etymology of. It's like, no, this is yeah. still alive. And this mm-hmm. is still traveling through bloodlines in the South. Like, mm-hmm. me and my friends, we are making this. That's but they right. they can't they can't recognize it. And it's dangerous mm-hmm. to approach us because we are still alive. We still have to be negotiated with. That's right. You can push back. So this, because this is the great fear, Right. The, the great fragility of whiteness as like a concept and an identity is that it cannot stand even a minimum of resistance or pushback. So the idea that engaging with your music as you are making it today with me having to actually engage with you and you might be able to say, listen, your interpretation of that is not, is not in the pocket. That is actually enough to spin whiteness out. It cannot 
cannot absorb it or take it, right? I do think it is a problem for white identity and it's something that they, they really need to grapple with. But what it certainly means for us is that the richness of what we're doing, like when I listen to your work and I can hear, yeah, of course I hear the historical echoes, but frankly, I hear the same echoes that I hear in good hip hop music, that I hear in contemporary gospel music, that I hear in soulful pop music. Why is it that I can hear the same pain in a young Black woman's voice from South Carolina that I hear in the pain and urgency of hip hop that's coming out of St. Louis, right? I need to think, that's what we don't want to grapple with because we want, when we put it in a box, we don't have to think about why are those echoes still happening across these spaces? Why is it still that this is what it means to be Black? Like what's coming out of that art and culture? Um, And that's the ear that we don't want to develop. You would not believe that almost every single white male music journalist that I've talked to, they always want to say, well, you're not really the blues or, or, or mm-hmm. they'll write a review and say, you're not really the blues. First of all, who told them what the blues was? That's, <laughs> and, and that's what I've gotten to the point of saying back to them. It's like, who made you the gatekeeper of the blues? Yes. And, you know, they're listening for a specific sound. They're listening yeah. for a technique that they've been able to replicate and commodify. It's like the part that they can do. Exactly. Yes. exactly. <laughs> they can't do blues poetics. That's they can't right. do the the philosophy of because that's lived, right? And it's inherited. So here's the other thing: we want to deny black people their inheritance. Yes, right. So the same way that we strip actual money and wealth from black communities, we do the yes. same thing with like our creative and spiritual energies, right? So yeah, they want the part that Eric Clapton's been able to reproduce. Listen, I'm not a musician, so I know I'm about to mess up the fancy words. But okay, God bless him. He can do the chord and the slidey thing. Okay, good. Yes. Right. But if that's all the blues was, if blues was only a technique, it never would have become the blues. That's right. Blues is the part that you inherit. I got news for you. Blues is walking down the street. Black women move as the blues. It is yes. how we sit down in yes. a chair. It is how I, I and I don't have, and I don't earn that from anybody. No. You inherit that. But if you inherit it, and that means you own it naturally, it means they can't earn it. That's <laughs> They can't practice that in the garage. You can't, they can't earn it. They can't do what we do. They can't do, that's it. You can't do what we do. That's it. You cannot have the beat without the burden. Come on now. Right? Come on now. (laughs) Right. You you can't do it. All you can do is learn how to clap an alignment with it. But you ain't got the beat. No, you can sell, you can commodify it and sell it. Yeah. But baby, you ain't got it. We're going to talk about this when you come to Nashville next month, but. Okay. I want to I want to talk to you about the essay that you dropped earlier this year in your Substack that pretty much broke everybody. Um, it got everybody's attention. The Dolly Parton moment. Oh yeah. I want to talk to you about the artifice of Dolly and what Dolly mm-hmm. represents, and and uh, the bigger picture of how we consume white Southern womanhood. Girl, girl, girl. So let me ask you this. Um, why do you believe that this is the Dolly moment? What is it that this, mm. that her celebrity is uh, feeding in us? What lack is this mm. speaking to? When you're in a moment where the crisis of white identity is so visible as it has been for the last six years, right? You, when you could see the screaming faces on January 6th and you see them storming the Capitol and you see the Trump crowds and, the, and your own people have turned into these like, talking heads. Like it was just been so visible, the crisis of white identity. What always happens is white people need something to save it for itself. 
right? Like they need a mascot for we can be redeemed. (laughs) And in this moment, that redeeming character is Dolly Parton. Mm. And I think it matters that she is a woman and not a man, because I think this, the crisis of white identity is a masculine crisis. Yes. So we want a woman to save us from masculinity, right? And we want a woman who is willing to play her part, to play her role. And listen, I love Dolly. That's why I think I could write it and I could do this work and I could think about her critically because you got to know the thing to critique it. You know what I mean? I can think about like, I know why I'm here for Dolly, but why the hell is everybody else here? Right. And why this moment and why like the rhetoric of her being angelic and above reproach and apolitical, right? Saint. And a saint. When we start to make something sacred in our culture, we want you to stop thinking about it. Whoa. You don't question the Pope. Whoa. Right? So when when I heard them, when I heard them start talking about her as an angel and a saint, I go, hold up. As my mama likes to say, she's been hanging with a rough new senior citizen crowd. Her new saying, her new saying is, hold up, swole up. I don't know where she got this. Okay. (laughs) So I hear the sacred and the angel, and I'm like, hold up, swole up. Mm -hmm. What is happening right now? And this is not about like who Dolly is as a person, but who we want her to be. Talk about that. In our culture. We want her to say white Southern identity can be salvaged without giving up anything. Because what we love about Dolly is she never says anything that matters, mm-hmm. right? She doesn't take a stand on the Dixie Chicks and she doesn't take a stand on Trump and she didn't take a stand on Black Lives Matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so what other white people are saying is, oh, okay, I can survive this moment by being like Dolly. I will just not say anything. And most importantly, people will still love me. Yes, rise above the fray. Yes, rise above it. They're going to be best, girl. They're all going to be best, right? And it is a fallacy that you can be apolitical in times when politics are killing people. Yes. Right? Yes. If you choose to be apolitical when politics are killing people, you've chosen the politics of death. Yes. Right? And you don't get to be a saint amidst death and carnage and during political turmoil. You don't get to ride through this unscathed. No, thank you. No, ma'am. And so I wanted to hold us to task for what we want Dolly to do for us, which is we want her to be a substitute for the hard work of taking a stand about what the politics of white Southern identity is when white identity crises are killing people. You laid this down so masterfully in, in, in that essay because this is, I grew up with um, polite, upper middle oh, class, yeah. white evangelical. Uh-huh. Yep. And I remember the women were infantilized in their ignorance of, of things that happened mm-hmm, outside of their mm-hmm. home. That's right. But the way that that is characterized as, as Southern charm. And, mm-hmm. and you talked about the way that um, white Southern women, a certain class of white Southern women, mm-hmm. my white Southern women are responsible for producing that charm that is disarming, right. that is enabling, that mm-hmm. allows uh, white non-Southerners to... Be comforted by our nostalgia. That's right. That's right. right. Yes. The rest of the country likes to visit the South in its imagination when the politics of whiteness get too complicated. It's this idea that if you go to the place where racial politics have been their ugliest and those most violent and can find those people charming, then surely the rest of us can be redeemed. And well, who is the charming host when you cross into the South? It isn't Buck. It's Miss Ann. 
Miss Anne is the charmer. She is the one who excuses and makes the violence of the South palatable. Right. She says, yes, slavery was possible, but look, I made tea. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, the enslaved domestic workers on the property make it possible, but look, we've got a veranda. That's right. The charm makes the violence palatable for everybody else. That's who Daisy Dukes is. She's making, playing around with the Confederate flag for jokes and fun, fun and games. She makes it palatable in her Daisy Dukes. That is what designing women make it cute for you to come to the South and sit in the living room and talk about design. Like what wasn't happening right outside that door was the second civil rights movement, right? Like all of that makes that palatable for everybody else. And you talk about that infantilization, yeah, of white womanhood that, oh, I don't know anything about those politics. Or why would anybody hate the police? I don't understand. Can't you find it in your big, warm heart to not give my poor little cousins a nasty, nasty ticket? (laughs) Well. Cletus. That reproduces the the soft violence, the masculine violence, we know what that does, but the soft violence that makes us do it to ourselves. I loved reading about the way that you were talking about Black women. We have been doing intellectual work since we arrived in the Western mm-hmm. world. You mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I look at it as every Black woman from the South, because that's what I can speak to, every yeah. Black woman from the South is a certified sociologist. I think so. Oh, I say it all of the time. And not only that, we're the best. We are the best sociologists. When I'm teaching and I see a young Black woman in my classroom, Mm -hmm. I've never had it be the case where she does not intuitively grasp sociology's most complex (laughs) theories and frameworks. You know why? Because we live them all of the time. Nobody is better at understanding something like structure and how the world shapes you than somebody who has to get up every morning and like fight with structure all day long. We live it. <laughs> all day. Live it. it leaps off Listen. the page of the textbooks in yes. our lives. We are, we are hands down the most natural social scientists in Western thought, I think, for that reason. I think we're the best philosophers and the best sociologists because we have to grapple with the tensions in everything. That's right. All of the time. That's, That's always right. been my experience. We're absolutely the best at it. Mm. Now, before I let you go. Yes. I have to ask you the question I ask all of my guests. Okay. What song is giving you light right now? You know, I am preparing for my visit to, you see me pulling up my app. I literally got out of the car 30 seconds before we were set to talk. And this is what I have been playing. You're going to think that I am pandering. I am not pandering. The last thing I played today was Dope Queen Blues. Yo. And you can see it is the most played track on my Eight Nights at the Ryman playlist. Okay. Yep. That'll preach. So, Dee Victoria. <laughs> and up and tick, 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 and time away. Well, I'm out doing things that I shouldn't, but I do anyway. Okay, love. Well, until we get to meet in person... Um, be blessed and stay safe and thank you for this conversation this has been an absolute joy y'all that was Tressie McMillan Cottom the author of 2019's Thick if you have not purchased that book of essays get to it quick Uh, when I tell you that illuminated so much about myself and the world around me 
I mean, her writing is a gift and it, it could not be more relevant in the times that we are currently swimming through. So check out that book. And also give Tressie a follow on Twitter because sis is hilarious. Now, when I started to think about my prescription for y'all this week, I I thought about what Tressie meant when she talks about thick conversations, the kind of conversations that sink below the surface, the kind of conversations that are difficult, they are uncomfortable, but at the same time, they are also as illuminating and as necessary. So I'd like to invite y'all to engage in thick conversations with the world around you, with folks in your life that you love, that you've got something that you need to speak on, but you haven't quite found the right time or the right way to do it. I mean, oftentimes the right way to do it is to just do it. Y'all get yourself into some thick conversations and while doing so, absolutely check out Tressie's book, Thick and Other Essays. It will guide you along in your work. This has been Call and Response from Sonos. Thank y'all so much for joining us this week. You can listen on Sonos Radio or find us at mixcloud.com slash Sonos. Now, if this episode moves you, if it touches you, please go ahead and just like and subscribe us. Take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps grow our community of blues work that we are doing here on Call and Response. And don't just keep this between you and I. Let these conversations inspire you to reach out to people in your life, ask thick questions, ask uncomfortable questions. That's the work of the blues, y'all. And let me know what music is meeting you in this moment. You can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Sonos Radio. I'm Adadia Victoria across all social media, and I'm all ears. The show was produced by Work by Work, Scott Newman, Jimmer Rose Brown, Anne Maria Wad, Daniel Razel, and by me, Adia Victoria. The show is mixed by Sam Bear. So until next time, y'all, keep your heart and your ears wide open. Y'all be good. <laughs>